0: Ooh. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. Today's episode is particularly awesome, yeah. because we are joined by the great James Rudder. night. Good good um. Yeah this uh i'm gonna probably hand this off to sam real quick and uh because i sound like a gremlin because i've been under the weather since monday my kid gave me kid germs (laughs) and for those of those for those of you who have had kid germs they are no bueno so if you hear me hacking or something in the background i'll probably ask sam to put a gate on my mic or something so i'll I'll gate you don't worry. And yeah, in the meantime, Sam has this luxurious analog chain that he has his vocal running through that James and I were making fun of him for, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> but take Sammy, it away, friend. You sound <laughs> great, Sam. You really Thank <laughs> you.
0: Thank you. Well,
2: today we have James Rudder, who is one of my dearest friends, and um, I want to give a little rundown of James and he is from Sydney, Australia. So if you notice that he has an accent or more so we have an accent to him. Thank you for that. There you go. Um, he's from Sydney, Australia, and he does all things music production. He has multiple golden platinum records. He's literally, in my opinion, shaped an entire genre of music. Uh, by working with Hillsong Being a main engineer and producer Over the last 15 years And somewhere in between Touring the world He worked at Henson Studios As an engineer uh, Assisting on projects with The Rolling Stones, Damien Marley, Nas Michael Buble, Bon Jovi And many others that James Won't tell you about because he's too humble But I'll brag on him yeah. So now he lives in Nashville which is where James and I met, and he mixes and produces from his private home studio. And so, James, welcome to the Attack and Show. Oh, it's wonderful to be here.
1: Wonderful.
0: We have like an applause in the background. Yeah, cue a little, cute, a little wow. cheer. Oh, I like that. I like
1: that sound. The sound effects play. I think.
0: Yeah. You know what? We're probably going to miss the ball on quite a bit. Is asking you just stereotypical Australia things, like does oh, the toilet yeah. really flush in the opposite direction? And- <laughs>
1: Yeah, like right. bring, bring them on. I'll, I'll be sure to answer all of them.
2: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, sweet. Well, James, today I wanted to um, really talk about uh, your career, but more so I wanted to talk about kind of your whole approach to life and the things you enjoy doing in life and how that potentially extends into how you create albums But before we jump into that, I would love for you to briefly, or as in depth as you want, kind of give people a background to uh, growing up in Australia and how you got into music. I know personally that you play some instruments and um, kind of talk about how you got connected with Hillsong a bit if you want, and then we can go from there. Yes, uh, and and the there was definitely a question mark. So so we'll see how we do, I guess. But yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, uh, I tell you what, I was I was thinking about um, this podcast, and and must admit, you know, it's the first one that I've ever been involved with. So wow. props to you guys. <laughs> um, and yeah, a little bit nervous, but that's fine. That's fine. Quite alright. I, right. I want not think about all nerves. the all the potential people that. Um, maybe I've already turned off at this point, but uh, <laughs> love love listening to you guys. So so all good there. Uh, but yes, yes, definitely did grow up in Australia. And um, I tell you what, thinking, thinking back to that time, it, it makes you feel uh, slightly aged because <laughs> um, it seems like a long time ago. But uh, yeah, grew up um, loving music and um the story goes that I was pestering my mother uh, <laughs> from the age of four to please let me play the violin. Um and after a year of that she she got me some lessons. Um so that was that was kind of the first instrument that I picked up and I actually feel very fortunate that that, that happened the way it did because it's uh one of those instruments that um, you know, there's there's no frets or anything like that. Yeah. So you, it it really, I feel like developed my ear um, to to you know have a have a good gauge on pitch. Um, I mm. wouldn't at all say that I have perfect pitch or anything like that, but maybe maybe relative pitches in there somewhere. So yeah. I feel like um, you know doing what I do now, it's it's a real a real help. Um, so yeah. You know, definitely started in the in the classical genre because that's kind of kind of where violin landed me. But um, you know, through high school, um, just got inspired by jazz. Really, uh, my band had a uh, my school brother had a, a jazz band, and um, it made me uh, pick up the saxophone. And uh, I think because I had a good grounding from from the violin. Um, you know, it it really was technique at that point that I had to learn for the saxophone, and and so picked it up pretty quickly, and and yeah, basically through school was those were the two instruments that I sort of majored on. Yeah, um, that was also the time where um, my family started going to to Hillsong, and um, yeah, massive massive youth program there which is excellent and very quickly I was I was in on that and very quickly it was determined that there was an opening on the on the sound side of things um and and that's really part yeah mostly where I got my start and and knew nothing of of what I was doing at at that time so um yeah that's that's basically the introduction to that um in school I was also doing a little bit in theatre um, so um, that I guess you know brought me to um, a, a bit more of a professional, more professional type production. Yeah. Um, not just random kids having a good time on a Friday night at youth. So yeah.
2: And what age was that then? Um, so I was about
1: fifteen when I started going to, to Hill Song, and it was and it was about the same time I was doing the theatre stuff as well.
2: And you got into front of house at Hillsong, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and how old were you then? Yeah, well, pretty soon afterwards,
1: so about 16, somewhere around there. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty early
0: start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was that was back in the day. I was thinking about this as well. That was back in the day where it was all still, still analog, and maybe I, that tells people my age a little bit. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah that's where what I age by.
0: are you allowed to start telling people that's that's starting <laughs> to show my age
1: Wow, that's a, that's a great question as well. <laughs> a lot of people would hear me say that and go, "You're ridiculous," because you're, you're still quite young. But
2: um, I think you're quite young still.
1: Oh, <laughs> thanks, mate. That's good for me to hear. That's good
2: for me. You to look hear. quite young too.
1: Oh, very yeah. good, very good. Too bad this isn't a uh, a video podcast, isn't
2: it? Yeah. We'll put a photo up of you somewhere. All right, all right thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, front of house, hill song. Um, what was it like? Like, who did someone say, "Hey"? you might be good at this or was it more so there was an open spot and you thought, I'll just check this out? Or what was that like? Because you went from 15, 16-year-old probably knowing next to nothing about an analog console to within very quickly a few years doing full-blown shows, I think, right? Yeah, no, that's that's pretty accurate. And um,
1: yes, it was very much like a you know, your musical and here's an opening, jump behind and, and fill the spot. Yep. Um, but the the whole sort of organisation, if that's, that's the best term to use, um, was very um, embracing of youth and there were multiple people sort of up the food chain on the sound team um, that got wind of what had happened and really sort of gathered around and, um, you know, started to give me a little bit more... Uh, of an idea of of what to do and not what not to do, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's really a, my story. Really, is that in essence everything that I've done in audio has been because someone else um, took the time and to to show me, yeah. Um, you know, which which I I feel so grateful for.
2: Yeah. What do you feel like when you started? Like learning what what were some of the most difficult things or concepts to understand, I think initially,
1: particularly at that age, you see this grandiose massive analog board, and you go how how am I ever going to uh, you know figure this thing out?" yeah. Um, and again, it takes people going, well, actually, it's just one thing repeated over and over and over again. And, <laughs> right. um, at some point, you'll get to the output and there's a little bit to learn there, but um, essentially that's what it was. Um, and I th- I think I just took that and without too much technical knowledge, um, early on, I-, I-, I felt able to craft in whatever way I was crafting at that stage, but yeah. I wasn't afraid to sort of grab a knob and see what it would do you know? Yeah, um, and and I would say that that's that's maybe a hindrance for, for people in general um, particularly when they're on the other end of something that they you know a set of speakers that they deem is very expensive and they don't want to mess up or they've had a bad experience with feedback <laughs> um, but fortunately I was given the the room to to explore in that way and yeah, yeah it's a very comfortable setting.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that idea of having freedom to explore is a huge concept that I often feel like isn't um, necessarily present in a lot of the industry these days with younger, I'll say younger kids, maybe early twenties or even teenagers. There's plenty of teenagers making records, but the ability to um, be properly equipped, I'll say, but also have a space to explore and create. I feel like, at least for me, really was a key determining factor in figuring out how I hear music and then how I want it to sound after I manipulate it for the audience or the consumer. And um, I guess I'm curious for you, Like, do you feel like because you had that freedom to create or explore, try, or probably even fail, I would imagine, whatever, if failure is bad or good. But um, do you think because you had that freedom to just turn a knob, say up 10 dB, that allowed you to learn more and kind of create, I'll say your sound or what became kind of Hillsong's sound?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I think it was room to explore with um, oversight that would uh, assume responsibility if everything went horribly wrong. Yeah. I feel like I feel like sometimes people are just hung out to dry in that situation, yeah. and it all goes pear shaped, and everyone's got their hands up going, you know, not my fault, um, and it's not the. You know, perhaps the inexperienced person that's in the hot seat—it's not their fault either. Yeah. Um, and you know, who was the person that was mentoring me at that time was always close at hand. And if anything was to ever go a little bit strange, or there was some, um, you know, feedback from from some, someone or other saying this isn't right. That would go through my mentor to me in a yeah. in a positive way,
2: yeah
1: um and it wasn't it wasn't cushioning um some of those those interactions were quite harsh, but harsh in a good way harsh in a positive way to where you yeah. go, okay, I'm never going to do that again
0: yeah
1: um so yeah i I really enjoyed that kind of interaction,
2: yeah, so I know personally that you really like. UK and British type rock. And yes. I feel like we've had conversations before where you've talked about how that influences your engineering and production choices. Um, and I would love to hear more about a, why do you like that type of music and B, what do you listen for and how do you apply it to the context of say like Hillsong or other records we can jump off Hillsong whenever but the the majority of your the start of your career I think was kind of within the Hillsong world so when did you start liking UK british type rock like was that from childhood cuz you said jazz but when did that kick in
1: yeah no another good question i um really when
2: i started to
1: go to Hillsong and interact um with with the guys that were in music there that that subsequently were you know still touring the world with, um, that was when really I was opened up to more of that music. Um, so prior to that, I was always focused on you know performance of violin or performance of saxophone and jazz and 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 that kind of thing. And really, it, I you know was opened up to that the other sort of more. Uh, I don't know uh, real world music, if you like. Right. <laughs> um, later, later on, yeah. Um, and a lot of that came through people that I, you know, started hanging out with in that world, and um, yeah, just just really started to enjoy uh, a lot of that. Back in the in that time, was you know guitar driven, and um, you know, obviously there were some similarities there in the yeah. in the United sound as
2: we went forward. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I grew up in, in the church, and I mean, I remember listening to records and or learning the guitar parts that I would assume you helped create, which is a beautiful small world. Um, but I remember uh, listening to United stuff and thinking these guitar parts almost sound like a punk rock song that then the (laughs) chorus becomes this kind of pop pop punk worship anthem. And I feel like you were probably 10 years ahead of your time, honestly, looking back at it. Um, And I, I think it's just remarkable that I look at it from like an outsider but now we're friends and work together on a ton of stuff, but I can see that you that influence of you liking UK or British rock or whatever we want to call it and guitar specifically has totally changed the whole genre of worship CCM Christian music and then beyond that too in my opinion and I just I think it's fascinating that because one person being you liked that type of music you were able to influence literally like years of music. And I don't even know if you see that, but it's pretty crazy to think about. I feel like what I've heard so far is like your mentors obviously played a big role and then your influences on music basically dictated kind of your sound. And I feel like in my career too, like my mentors and people that have invested into me and the music I like, um has heavily shaped shaped my sound too and i don't think people always i feel like in like 2020 there's a a lack of mentori almost and a mm. lack of of people influencing each other and i remember i mean it's kind of a classic mentor thing but it was like you know if you want to if you like somebody's album you should investigate what type of music that person likes and then mm. what type of music that person likes you basically go down this chain to find like the root yeah, influence, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of multiple people, and that's how you really kind of get to understand their sound. But I feel like if I was to listen to Hillsong and United stuff, you know, from ten years ago, that to me shifted a genre. You know, it sounds heavily influenced by like rock guitar tones, and. That directly comes from you just happening to be going around the world and going, "This is kind of cool. What would it be like to kind of essentially stuff this into a genre that normally doesn't have that in my opinion um,
1: yeah, yeah I, I mean I'm definitely not going to put my hand up and say I was the you know the sole influencer of the sound. I right. feel like I you know jumped on board with. All, all of us in that world influencing each other and basically right. saying, have you heard this? Have you heard that? You know, yeah. we were consuming all this music all the time, you know, sitting in cars listening to it on the way to the beach, you know, yeah. you know, late at night, as, as you're able to do at that age. And then on top of that, we were, you know, when it came time to doing these albums, we were given the freedom to... To sit in the studio and just go, okay. First of all, we want it to sound that way. So, how are we going to get it there?
0: Yeah.
1: And 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 then also the freedom to, you know, put the parts in that we thought were cool.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: um, and as I say, that that was so uh, so much of an effort of so many different people. Right. Uh, and we definitely didn't get it get it always right. And that that was back in the day when we were still on recording to DA eighty eight. Yeah, um, you know. So, amongst all of that, I'm engineering and learning how to engineer at the same time, and you know, <laughs> messing up drop ins and uh, you know, it was fabulous tape except I, I missed the start of it and th- things like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there was all the room in the world to make all of those mistakes and, yeah. and you know, just a melting pot that, I guess, um, you know, looking back on it now, made made it what it was, you know. Right.
2: Were Was there any, like, during that time, I guess, nervousness of what if people don't like this or was it such an innocent pursuit of, just creating what y'all wanted to create that you were just kind of like this is what we're doing and enjoy and if people like it that's fine and if they don't that's fine or
1: yeah did yeah, you feel was...
2: pressure of like we want we want people to really dig this so you know let's let's try and make it awesome or was it more so a byproduct what i'm trying to say i think to <laughs> me is like the uniqueness made it stand out in a sea mm. of you know traditional type sounding CCM or worship records at the time um
1: yeah I I mean honestly I don't personally I you know I wasn't listening to any sort of CCM at the mm -hmm. time um and it was very much as you say just a like you know we're making this because we like it um we at you know also there was um a sense of service to the rest of the youth group you know right. like we want to all like this music you know so what that what's that going to be like but there was at that stage there was nothing official in place yeah um you know it was like oh we're doing a record okay cool you know <laughs> let's do it it was it, it was no there was no sense of you know we want to make the record like this because it'll fit in this particular hole
2: yeah you know there was none of that yeah that's awesome I just feel like that's such a rare thing these days to like find artists who really want to create what what they really want to because they're scared that people might not like it. But I feel like over my 10 years or so in the music industry, the people that actually have a chance of say making it, you know, being successful whatever that means to each person or or making waves within the music industry requires you to take the risk and more so just create from a place of like organic naturalness letting your personality um play into what you create musically and yeah. making the music like an extension of you mm-hmm. <laughs> which to me kind of leads into to the depth of what I really like talking about with people is Like I want people on this podcast to know James beyond the records you've made, and so I know you love mowing your grass,
0: taking care of it. Did it? Did it this morning? Exactly. Got to get that midweek mow in. That's right. Seriously, there's rain coming to (laughs) us. And obviously, you and I
2: golf quite a bit together. I know you love golf. You love perfect flat white drinks. The pursuit of the perfect flat white. Yeah, hard to get over here. Exactly. Mm. But those sorts of things... What is a perfect flat white drink? (laughs) Well, it's coffee.
1: Okay. Made in a certain way that... um, You know, I encourage the listeners to to go and read about. And (laughs) and if you were to purchase one from um, a large coffee-making chain that has green in their label, it's probably not going to be quite right.
0: (laughs) Oh, nothing that... Anyone who has green in their label, nothing about that tastes correct.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay, all
0: right.
2: I'm I'm in the right crowd. You're in good
0: company. (laughs) I'm not a coffee snob by any stretch of the imagination. I got a Keurig at home, like nothing about that. But anytime I go there, man, it just tastes like it just tastes burnt. I can't do it. (laughs) Love it. Um, But yeah, all all those things. Like
2: when I met you. You talking about taking care of your lawn was probably one of the first few things we talked about. I remember that's,
1: that's hilarious. That's, that's very hilarious
2: <laughs> because I remember you came over and you were complimenting my yard, which I don't take care of. I have landscapers to do it, but there there seem to be you know as I've gotten to know you and as I get to know anyone, the things we do in our life, you know the the music we make is just an extension of that mindset and philosophy or approach we have to life and usually the mundane things um that people would think that you know mowing the grass has no influence on how you mix a record but i genuinely believe that all those things kind of impact how we you know do our job essentially mm-hmm. so Let's talk about mowing the grass quickly. <laughs> Why do you like mowing the I grass? I love
0: this topic so much right now.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, man. anyone
0: who knows me knows I'm just like jonesing out in my chair. Matt loves mowing too. Oh, so. good, good. You guys answer. are two what? two peas in a pod.
1: Matt, what kind of mower do you have?
0: <laughs> I have like a ten year old Honda. Oh, good, good engine. Good engine. It's like the HRX. It will go forever. It, well, it has. As yeah. far as mowers are concerned, and so long as you change the spark plug and the that's oil, right. and that's right, winterize that sucker, you're good yep. to go. Keep a sharp blade. Love it. Always very cut important with a sharp for blade. the health health of the grass. <laughs> do you <laughs> anyway. do one or two mows a week?
1: Well, oh no, no, I'm I'm not that uh, that extreme, and uh, seasons dictate to me when I need to mow. Really, is what it comes down to. But I digress. Uh, good it's, man. It's, it's um I don't know. I, my wife would say that I'm frustratingly particular about things <laughs> and, um, you know, yes, that does stem across, you know, all parts of my life and including mowing. But I think mowing for me is is one of those things where, you know, I can either sit on the mower and go around and think about things or I completely tune out and, you know, in essence that that contributes to my day and whatever I'm doing in the work world. Um, similar Sam you and i have, have talked about you know going to play golf um, and why it's so healthy for the mind in terms of completely focusing on golf and not anything else yeah um, and now you know mentally golf can be quite frustrating as well so so there's that aspect to it as well but we always we always grow from these experiences okay. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I I don't know, yeah, I'm I'm particular. I like things to be a certain way and um, while that translates into what I do musically, it also, you know, as I've gotten older, not old but older, um, (laughs) I think that it's helped me to realise that it's good to pull away from that as well um, in, you know, when making whatever decisions you're making in, in music.
2: That's great frustrating, what'd you say, frustratingly particular? Yes, that's me, that's
0: <laughs> me, yes <laughs> I really like this note about James in here that Sam wrote of why you hate using drum samples <laughs> Oh, I like what? this a lot and I respect it from someone who hears <laughs> a lot of drum samples.
1: Okay, well, what was that note in, in particular in, in reference well, to?
0: I
2: mean that note was in reference to our <laughs> many a conversations where I feel like you and I um, pride ourselves when we mix something that, you know, we'll tell each other no samples were used on this oh, project. Oh, yeah, yeah, Very proud <laughs> of that idea. Yes. And you and I kind of get excited about that. It's almost like a... Um, I view it as a clout thing between you and I, yes. but... <laughs> good word, good word. I like it. Of uh, It's impressive if we're able to salvage... Well, salvage is maybe too harsh of a word, but use the drums that are provided without having to immediately go, I need a kick and a snare sample to make this sound good. But I feel like that, you know, your, I'll say obsession with recording engineering, but drums in general, we talk about drums a lot, and you just taught me about how to um, basically isolate a snare and a tom better. By yep. flipping phase and whatnot, yep. which is a tip we could maybe talk about later. Oh, okay. But yep. um, I think for me, that goes into what we just talked about of like the uh, particular, the frustratingly particular, where like you mm. are, at least from my observation of being friends and working with you, is that you will fight and wrestle and tweak and manipulate the drum sound to make it work as opposed to going well this source doesn't quite fit yet how i want it to so i'm just gonna go grab you know a steven slate sample real quick Mm -hmm. and move along you like to i'll say you embrace the process and you like to um, figure out how to make the drums work and that's my observation of probably why you do it and probably because you think it makes the record sound more authentic or organic or emotional but um you know why do you like (laughs) (laughs) why i mean i feel like i know but why do you prefer to fight for a drum sound as opposed to saying let me just quick swap in a sample and call it a day
1: yeah, I mean, you, you've said many of the reasons already, but it is so—it's—it's it's amazing thinking about this. How many aspects of it there are? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe partly it comes from being a tracking engineer and working so hard on a drum drum sound in yeah. the studio, and getting the mix back and going those are not the drums, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and at that point you go, am I bad at, at my job as a tracking engineer or is this person, you know, did they just decide that they wanted their sounds on this, you know. Yeah. Uh, the other aspect of it relates back to the the frustratingly, uh, the, the frustrating nature of my <laughs> personality where whenever I have dabbled in samples in the past I don't feel like they're ever quite right and and so it just takes me away from you know how I like to create a mix you know if if it's like when you when you receive something and and the vocal is is maybe not as in tune as you would like it um, if you decide to go and tune it then you you're taking yourself away from from the creativity and maybe the moment um of of where the song song should be so um there there are a couple of aspects to it um I think as well yeah it's a pride thing going no no I can despite what you've given me I can make (laughs) this sound fantastic you know right um so so yeah it's it's a journey that I I continue on but um it's, it's nice to be in company that of, of, of people that feel the same way in that regard.
2: Yes. Do you feel like because you fight for, say, the original source without just saying, oh, I'll just swap a sample or whatever, that that plays in part of, I'll say, your success with people hiring you again and again to make records? Oh. I don't Or mean. do you think it's something where people have are getting used to samples so much to where sometimes mm. when I do something that's not where I use the real drums, the client will be like, wait, it doesn't sound like the reference I gave you of Katy Perry. And it's like, right, well, that's right. a different drum set.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think I've ever... Uh, I don't know if it's something that people come back to me for per se. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's actually a compliment for someone to go, "Oh, did you use a sample there?" And you go, "No, no." no. <laughs> you know, um, so you got you got a, a sound that was you know um, pleasing to their sample wanting ears, perhaps. Right. Um, so I don't I don't know. I think maybe some of it stems from um, dealing with. Live sound and live drum kits, and and having to push through to get a drum kit sounding like you wanted to, yeah. when when maybe it's not ideal in the live setting for whatever reason.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. You know. You can't. Well, you you can, but um, it's much better in a live setting, in my opinion. To to you know, take the drums as they are and and dress them up. You know? Right. So. So yeah, maybe it comes. Partly from that
2: too, yeah, that's sweet. Um, so, obviously, we've covered a bit of the Hill Song, your kind of early years, I'll call them, <laughs> even though you're still young. Thank you. But during this time, you made your way to LA before Nashville, and I want to talk about Henson Studios because I feel like Henson Studios in your career is something that. Um, A, for me, was something I found out later in our friendship. But when I found it out, my respect for your, um, I guess, abilities or even just, you know, anyone who's going to work at Henson obviously has some sort of work ethic. And to then become assisting in engineering on records with some of the largest artists, I'll say, of our time... um, that's something you don't seem to talk a ton about and i wanted to let you talk about that experience and there's one particular thing that always stood out to me during our conversations about that period of your life which was you learned the ssl console that was new at the time and because you did that that put you in a position to work on a lot of I'll say albums, because you actually read the manual and learned how a console worked <laughs> that was new at the time that people didn't know how to use. Yeah. Um so my my question is probably twofold, but one, I would love for you to talk about Henson Studios. How did that happen? You know, what where did you start within there? And then two, the SSL console story for me is just like a massive um, piece of wisdom of like because you were willing to learn something that others didn't um it put you in a position to basically rise up and and work on some really cool records so you can talk about whatever you want but (laughs) i just feel like that time of your life and career from the outside has always been something that i've been like this is freaking amazing and not a lot of people know about this so yeah, share uh, with us.
1: Oh, happy, happy to happy to share a bit. Um, so many stories from that time, and uh, I will say Henson—that's the the original A and M Studios from back in the day—is um, a very, very special place, and uh, something that I feel so fortunate to be have been a, a part of.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and and. I think at that stage of my life, I'd, you know, I'd gotten on a plane and said, I'm going to move to America. And I was quite naive to actually what that meant and what I was getting into. And I think I was at the right stage of life to just embrace it all.
0: Um, How does one move from Australia <laughs> to the United States? I feel like this well, was just very simply glossed right, over. Like I this yeah, is like a enough. really big thing. It's a really long flight. It is. It is a long flight. Um, you got stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, How do yeah. you do this? <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, again, being naive, you, you kind of just do it. But um, but, and it's probably a bit more difficult to do it these days um, with with where the world's going. But uh, I did get the opportunity to come to the states um, via a band uh, that that they asked me to do front of house, and they were signed to a record label in the states. Um, and that record label actually made it possible via visas and things like that for me to be able to get over hmm. here for a, a longer period than the uh, what is it three months that you're usually allowed to be over here for on, mm-hmm. on vacation or whatever. Um, so that's that's kind of how that started. And from there, basically, it's it's visas. Hmm. Uh, you got to pay to play. Um, so yeah, that's it does that. Satisfy your your wonderings, No, that, that, that's great. It I was just practical... like it's,
0: it's it was just a glossed over thing. That's like if I were to move to another country, yeah, I just you know just don't hop on a plane. I mean, you could i was just curious what the process was yeah, like yeah, no, no, so yeah, yeah okay yeah back to this amazing experience at the studio and not the logistics of getting here yeah
1: no no immigration is a real thing everyone needs to be aware <laughs>
0: I want to hear about the Rolling Stones the Rolling Stones like pretty much <laughs> shaped my childhood so this is like oh wow yeah I heard you got like a, a bottle of something from Jagger or something and...
1: oh yeah I mean there's many stories there but um but yeah the, the whole Henson thing I think I definitely went into that situation it was uh the second interview of two interviews that I've ever had um, and with the studio manager, um, and it was it was very much a uh, an interview, not so much as what do you know, you know. I think I was sitting there uh, ready to tell my story about you know what I'd done in Australia and why I was qualified, and the interview was much more like what are you prepared to do.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> As in, yeah, like how how far are you prepared to go for the um, smooth running and the professionalism of this studio? Hmm. Um, and that initially meant cleaning the toilets and and you know going to pick up orders of food to bring back to the studio. And you know it's typically called a runner, and that's that's exactly how I started and on minimum wage. You know, yeah. Um, and it was the best thing that i that could have ever happened to me
2: yeah
1: um you know if in that position, I think what the people the you know managing you are are looking for is can you be put in that situation where you're not actually doing anything with regards to engineering or audio, and how much of a self starter are you how much yeah. do you how much do you want it um and I absolutely love that culture and I feel like a lot of that, uh, you know, the people that are getting around, um, if they haven't had that kind of experience, maybe um, there's some some etiquette to, to learn there or, or and, you know, maybe that's me just going, this is what I did so, you know, others should have that experience as well. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it was very important to me and, and I still feel that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that you know, getting to the to the SSL story, um, you know, it was the uh, the AWS that had just come out, um, and and one of those had landed in the studios, and um, it was really a production room, um, and yeah, essentially, you know, the self starting aspect. I saw it landed. I went, oh, this is cool. It's it's a bit of a hybrid, you know, um, all the other consoles are in that in the facility there were just your standard, you know, big old analogue SSLs and so it was something a bit different. And, yeah, I just asked the question. I said, hey, can I go up and have a twiddle with it? And, um, <laughs> yeah, essentially um, that's what led to being on um, some of those sessions because, um, you know, when you're a very big band, you, you don't need just one studio, you need need many and yeah. they needed that production room and to do some overdubs and things like that. So, um, yeah, because I'd sort of put my hand up and I'd, I'd learnt it, um, that's how I got that opportunity. I was I was taken in, I remember it vividly because I was taken into the, the studio manager's office, and, and ask, okay, so how well do you know that console? <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, backed myself, and I said, yeah, we're good to go, and and that's when I, <laughs> that was the moment I got the call up for the for the Rolling Stones gig. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it it floored me.
2: Yeah, I just think it's insane that you know that story of like you were getting food, which was like solving a problem on some level because people need to eat. And then you had the, I, I guess, gumption or curiosity to, I'll learn this SSL console that maybe not nobody wants to learn or they just didn't have time. So you took the initiative to do that. And because of that, you were then in demand for your skill. And I feel like that is um, what I call like doing the non-sexy thing. Like you did the non sexy thing of like studying the manual and tinkering and twiddling, is that what you said? Yeah, a little little twiddle
1: here and there. Twiddle yeah. <laughs>
2: you did little twiddles, which then leads you to getting asked how well do you know it, which you know, you have the confidence to say, I know it, and then you go, Okay, well, here's help out on the Rolling Stones. Like that's that, also like it's not crazy. Cl-
0: Let's also not gloss over the fact that anyone else could have done that, but they didn't. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, just a mere fact of picking up a manual, learning the board, and just like the mere, like, love and curiosity of what you're doing. And just like, yeah, I wonder what this thing does. Right. It's like anyone could have done that. Right. But it it just blows my mind that nobody else did. (laughs) Yeah. And it's because you did that that's kind of like set you up for a pretty uh pretty solid time there
1: yeah well I think you know it's it's um you know hindsight had had someone said to me or said to any of us that were in in that in that space at that time um if you learn this console you'll get to work with the rolling stones then you know (laughs) yeah everyone would put their hand up but yeah but yeah there's definitely definitely something to that you know just getting in and I, I definitely haven't always been that way um you know, I don't. Still to this day, I don't think I'm I'm that technically minded. Um, you know, straight off straight off the bat. So yeah. um, that was definitely something I had to to dig into. Um, but also, like I I think it's it's important to mention at this point um, how how important culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the culture of that studio was that the people that had had gone before you were there to mentor you, and there was there was multiple people that were doing that and um they were very encouraging to to often say hey what are you you know what are you learning you know today you know, you know have you been in this room is free? why don't you go in there and you know you know essentially educate yourself right. um and that was that was a big part of the culture there um that that I absolutely love and am so grateful for.
2: I feel like the phrase "What are you learning today?" is gonna become one of my mantras as it should as <laughs> that it I should. journal yes, I feel like that's i mean obviously mantras are always so simple, but the idea of what are you learning today I don't get asked that very often <laughs> you know yeah, or right. or yeah. ever but obviously we i feel cool. like listening to your story and I know in my story it's you know learning is how you grow mm-hmm. i feel like or how you get to be in a place to uh have the opportunity to work with cool re- cool bands or not even cool bands just do what you actually like doing which is like mm-hmm. engineering and helping people make great music yeah well and i think uh, yeah. yeah go ahead
1: no, I was just going to say it's so important because you know, particularly at this end end of the the stick, I guess it's you know most of us are working out of rooms by ourselves for yeah. most of the time. That's what's wonderful about this podcast because it's a very comfortable place to go. Oh, these these are some things I do, um, and it and again it creates that culture of of learning yeah. in essence. I feel like and and. You know, that's something I've always enjoyed about our interaction, Sam, is that you're quite, uh, far more than I am, you're, you position yourself to have those interactions with people. Whether whether or not that, that happens or not, you, you yeah. always put yourself out there to do that and, and it's something I definitely need to do more of.
2: <laughs> well, sweet.
0: <laughs> you are rather bold, Sam. I am. <coughs> I've been it's told like that. In, In person. It's like you'll say things like, whoa, you said that to somebody? Like, yep. (laughs) So it's a good fun kudos. I just try to be honest. In in the
2: nicest way possible. You are very diplomatic. That's true. That is true. Yep. Um, okay, so you were at Henson and you worked on a mess of records. You learned a lot of things, obviously. What are you learning today? Great mantra. And then Eventually, you end up in Nashville. How did you get to Nashville? Why?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question as well. So, in um, while I was in L- L- in L A doing the studio thing, I was still um, jumping out and doing the odd tour, um, keeping in that world a little bit, and um, yeah, I think I. Th- i'm I'm stalling on on collecting my thoughts here a little bit just because i it wasn't a massively definite thing i I didn't get to a certain period of time or in l a and go okay, you know um I've had x amount of years here, so now I need to move on to the next thing um I think I was definitely done with l a mm-hmm. um I was Serious on my now wife, and that definitely played played into it as well.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and I w- yeah, I needed a change. It, it may sound very ridiculous, but there was I remember a time getting woken up from one of the little earthquakes that happened in LA, and going, "Yeah, I've h- I've had enough of that." You know, <laughs> like the the cups and saucers were rattling on the on the shelves, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay." Don't need any more of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I guess I was I was open to going somewhere else. Yeah. Um, You know, New York was actually in the back of my mind as well. Nashville, of course, because you know, Music City and all that. But um, yeah, it ended up that I moved uh, because uh, a mate of mine from Australia had decided that he was going to do an album and we were going to work on it together and. He, he said, I'm going to do it in Nashville. And at that very moment, it was a phone conversation at that very moment, I said, well, funnily enough, I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> uh, and that's when I decided.
2: Yeah. So where did you do that album at then in Nashville? Well, uh, a place called The Toy Box. and oh, yeah. And uh, Lidge
1: uh, Shaw has now become, you know, a, a big name in this town because yeah. he was an advocate for... Um, getting the bill passed to where yeah. home home studios were were able to exist.
2: Yeah, just passed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to him, but uh yeah, we we did we did the record there and it's a
2: fantastic place. Sweet. So, how long ago was that then? So that was 20 20 uh 2010. 2010.
1: 2010. 2010. Yep. Yep. 10 years ago.
2: Sweet. Yep. yep. <laughs> So then for the last 10 years, you've been mixing and still touring and producing, and you've been touring all over the world at this stage, Yes, which I think is an insanely cool opportunity. And You've literally been everywhere, I feel like, just about. Um, But one of the things that I know you love, and it's come from traveling, is you love Japanese culture, correct? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) let's talk about Japanese culture why you love it and yeah. um, if that then creeps into how you approach music yeah well I feel like the, the frustratingly particular thing
1: is <laughs> it's getting mentioned again because I feel like the Japanese and, and this is very generalized but their culture um, how some of them are they're, they're particular you know yeah. uh, and I like that I like yeah. that um you go over there and everything's nice and nice and orderly. Um and obviously there's some some and not, not great aspects to to cultures all over the world and, and the Japanese have it as well. But I just love how embracing of um they really em- embrace in, in certain ways uh differences. Um, mm-hmm. and in other ways they don't at all. So it's this this amazing conflict that you're surrounded with while you're there um, that's just fascinating to me and it, and it and it obviously helps that I that I love Japanese
2: food right <laughs> do you think being particular is required to do great audio
1: to a certain degree I would I would say so yeah,
2: yeah. or is it a blend of the creative and the particular basically that makes a great engineer or someone, in Ohio. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I absolutely think so. Um, we all have to have uh, certain elements of being particular when it comes to interacting with other people. Yeah. Um, if you're chaotic in how you work, as soon as you want to work with someone else, they're going to go, oh, I have no idea what this, what any of this is. Um, but, being particular doesn't necessarily um mean that the microphone has to be in a certain spot all the time or the the knob is always at this particular gain uh gain stage or, yeah. or whatever whatever it is some of the most uh, fulfilling music that i have mixed has been from artists that are not particular at all and um you know, I'll listen through to certain tracks and go, Oh, how am I gonna make this work? <laughs> and you push the faders up or and, and all of a sudden it it has this thing to it and it's not particular and it's wonderful.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, I wanna go to some I'll call them low hanging fruit topics real oh. quick. Just because I feel like our audience will want to know a little bit about how you work on albums, but the question, simple question, how do you approach an album and what do you feel like you need to get right, get right for it to be a success when you get a project?
1: Um, are we talking about sort of the mixing stage, which is sort of more what I do yeah. at the moment? Yeah. yeah. It's a great question. I think um, I go through my initial stages of organizing what I've received. Yeah. Um, you know which is which is important um, other than other than that um, I tr- I you know I love having a a rough mix sent mm-hmm. to me um, I think my main focus is trying to get into the headspace of the people that that may like when they pressed stop on their last session mm-hmm Trying to decipher what they were going for, yeah, you know, and and that might sound more deep than sometimes it is. Like sometimes, yeah, you really have to go into, you know, what they were, you know, all the touchy feely bits and pieces. But sometimes it's more just practically. Okay, yeah. what what did the people that touched this want this to end up like?
2: Yeah. Um, so, do you ask them that, or do you just kind of let the the files or do you have like an onboard thing where you say, "Give me contacts," or how do you discern that yeah, most certainly with with new clients, um, there'll be a bit of
1: back and forth or, of how they got to where they did um, and and I find many people just go, "Hey, we want you to do your thing." You yeah um, so I think it's important at that stage to to back yourself in knowing whatever genre that you're you're tackling and if you don't, um, do doing some research. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah, in general people are people are very willing to sort of give you a good idea of of what path to follow in that regard.
2: Yeah. Was it always for you um doing projects, people saying like, hey James, just do your own thing or was that a overtime trust or because of the amount of experience you have at this stage people mm. kind of know what they're getting into or yeah definitely
1: definitely more recently um, since I've really been focusing on I mean this year in particular uh, all of us have had to pivot in some way or another um, for me it was I've, I've still been traveling up to to this point so um, really having to focus more on mixing in order to to make <laughs> You know, to make things right. all uh, all work financially has been has been a, a challenge. So, um, so yeah, it's certainly come as I've uh, become more confident with with what I'm doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, prior to that, I mean, you you grow as as a mixer with you know the artists that you that you work with, um, and. Yeah, I, f- I feel like now that I'm, I'm more at the point where I'm, I'm more confident to go. Yes, I can absolutely do do what you're, what you're wanting. You know.
2: Yeah, and then you're also currently doing consulting. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I mean, yeah, back back to sort of more the live aspect of right. of of things. But um, yes, I guess um, throughout throughout touring um, you're encountering all these different speaker systems and loudspeaker systems and um, I always found that uh, I was partial to a particular um, brand uh, of speaker l acoustics and and yeah I was uh, I was approached by them um, a couple of years back um, With regards to maybe taking on some some consulting role. And and what that means in in their terminology is uh, going into uh, installed venues um, of their product and working with the integrator to basically hand over a commissioned system to the end user. Um, So essentially, you know, making sure that the speakers are in the right. Place as per the design, yeah. and and then doing a final final tuning of those speakers. Yeah, uh, it's been a, it's been a wonderful wonderful relationship. It's really challenged me more in the tested, uh, in the technical aspects. Yeah. of of what what goes on behind um, that kind of that kind of product, um, and they've they've also been wonderful in in educating uh, in that way as well. Um so yeah that's that's ongoing. It's sort of stopped obviously due to the the travel restrictions that are that are happening.
2: yeah, um, but yeah, it's great. When you are I'll say consulting or teaching people kind of about acoustics or pas and and how to set up a room or a venue or a stadium or whatever, what do you feel like is one of the most common? When you're teaching people misunderstood things or maybe like a myth that they think they should be doing, but you're kind of you release them of that maybe or help them think about something more clearly. Is there a overall theme potentially that comes up over and over again? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think that
1: Um I don't know, I've just drawn this this kind of parallel, but in terms of mastering, for instance uh, and what I would call system engineering, where you're not necessarily mixing a show, but you you are there to make sure the mixer has, uh, you know, the PA is doing for them what it what they need it to do. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a mastering kind of thing where you're you're really putting the polish on the product that you're given. You know, right. Um. So. So yeah, I think part of and and you'd be familiar with this is educating the person, where, you know, that that's mixing um maybe what they're giving you needs a little bit of a little bit of of help. Yeah. Um but also providing them with a solid platform, you know, and being confident confident enough to say, no no no, it's it's not it's not the speakers at this point. It's 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 maybe something else down the line. You know, yeah. whether that's the mixer, or whether what's coming off
0: stage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it's um, where you have to start being a little euphemistic. Indeed, it's indeed. not what they bought. It's indeed. what they brought. Indeed, exactly right. Oh, nice. <laughs> I I've catchphrases all around. I've uh, become not very euphemistic, and I've also told people it's a microphone, not a miracle, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little forward myself. Oh, I like it. I like it. So you said the you said the magic word that had all the listeners' ears perk oh. up mastering. Yes, <laughs> yes. So well, I had to tie it in. I really did. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have to we have to we have to segue everything back to the mastering podcast. As you should. As you should. So and Sam can't ask this question oh, for oh, oh. I know oh. what's coming, I know what's coming. <laughs> So, no, I, know I know you, at least through your website and whatnot, you primarily use Sam as a mastering engineer. And I, I don't know if you use anyone else. Um, um, just like through what I've seen, and I've seen you plug his site through yours, and um, very generous of you. It's very um, nice. <laughs> so, when you send something off to Mastering, mm. what are you expecting back from that Mastering engineer? Mm. Yes. Uh, Sam I, can't ask this.
1: <laughs> yes. No, no, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, we may never work together again after this.
2: Conflicts right. of interest. I was to yeah. say, maybe I can answer the question, though, if I know James well enough.
1: Oh,
0: that uh, You have to do bit. it in an accent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, I want my mix to sound better. <laughs> I don't want my mix to come back the- sounding the same. That's, you know... Um, Obviously, I'm going to send it to mastering, going. This is a really, really good mix, but I want another set of ears to enhance it. Um, In essence, that's what I want out of mastering. Um, You know, obviously, there's all the technical side of it that you know I want to make sure that it's going to uh, fit everyone's speaker size, uh, (laughs) all all of the above. But, but yeah, that's what I want from mastering.
0: Is it? Are you looking for like specific levels and whatnot, or? Um
1: um, oh, I mean this obviously goes into the, a topic that you guys know, no, no doubt speak about quite often with loudness and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, depends on the genre um, I think as to to how loud you really want something, but I want it to be impactful in in all the ways. Um, so I at that point, I'm trusting, the mastering engineer to go. Okay, it fits in this particular space, and that's how I'm going to master it.
0: Yeah, is loudness as important to you as having something feel correct? I th-
1: I I don't think they're they're ex- they, they're exclusive. I think you can have both, mm-hmm. so, and I think that's that's what should be sought after. I'm not afraid of of things being loud.
0: <laughs> Are you ever afraid of things being too quiet? Yes, absolutely. Because uh, I don't think anyone's afraid of too loud. If it's too loud, then typically it's like a little too smashed. And <laughs> loud doesn't normally come without consequences sometimes.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely,
0: absolutely. I mean, there's so many ways to skin the cat at this point.
1: Yes. Um, but my fear when I, whenever I'm... Um, signing off on a project that's been mastering is how does this relate in a listening world of mm. people that just just listen to single tracks. No one listens to, well, very few people. Generalising, of course, um, listen to full albums. Um, people like their playlists; uh, they like their variety, and it's got to it's got to stack up next to whatever else that's coming coming. With well, very cool. It. Is that? Uh, do you think your listeners will be?
0: satisfied with my answer there? I think that is a more than adequate answer. <laughs> is, it a, is it a controversial answer by any...
1: No. I mean, no, mastering I so. in and
0: of itself is controversial because you ask yes. a mastering engineer anything and they're like, well, it depends. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, if yeah. you but ask yeah. more, can you have like a little bit more info on that? It's like, well, just use your ears. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sam, do you, have, uh, do you have anything left for James? Um, Have we left it on the table? I feel like we covered a lot of ground here. There's so much.
2: So much. There's so much more I know we could talk about, but I also feel like we covered a nice amount of material. And I feel like if people want to know more about James, then they should follow you on Instagram, find you on your on your, on the internets. They can do that. I'm there. And they can
0: holler at you.
2: Yeah, I have a do. question
0: because oh. I was looking at your earlier. Uh-oh. Who gets to push the confetti button, and does it say <laughs> confetti on it?
1: <laughs> well, uh, for certain for certain events, there's more confetti than others. Uh, you'd be surprised how much that stuff costs, <laughs> and particularly uh, when you put it in certain venues, how much it costs to clean it up as well. Should um, the uh,
0: Should the head janitor be allowed to push the button?
1: I think so, but maybe then the the confetti button would never get pushed. You know, you want to push it at some stage.
0: Um, (laughs) You got to have it like (laughs) you always have to have a dead man switch. If you don't push it by zero, it's going to go off. So I'm confetti. I like that. I like that. The confetti
1: must be used.
0: (laughs) The dead man switch on the confetti button. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Everyone likes confetti. Who gets to push that button, James?
1: Well,. You know, yes, there, is, there, there can be a manual push, but uh, in a professional setting it's often triggered by that, that lovely timecode sound, you know. <laughs> That's often how it happens. That way someone doesn't push it at the wrong time. Of course. You know, sometime, sometimes our lighting friends, they, they don't have as much rhythm as we'd like them to have.
0: <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> Love you, too. <laughs> and uh, with that, I think I'm out of questions. <laughs> so I will actually sign off, sign us off with one question, as Sam's probably in post queuing up a sweet beat. Oh, yeah. James. Yes. What are you learning today?
2: Oh. Ooh, man, so good.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm learning
1: that... I'm, I'm happy to have discussions with wonderful people and have other people potentially learn something from it.
0: Oh, nice. Mm. Sam, what are you learning today? <sighs> oh, I'm learning that you
2: just never know where audio is going to take you because I grew up on some level listening to what James created that got me doing music, and now we work together. And who could have planned that? I couldn't plan that. And now, Matt, you and I have a podcast that started from a mentorship. Awesome. So I guess you could say I'm learning that um, that music is still my favorite thing to do because of the community it creates. Love it. Is that cheese? <laughs> no, that's great. No, that's great. <laughs> that's it's great. just beautiful to have... Now, Matt and James know each other for our audience, and now our audience knows James. If you didn't know James, but I just love it. I'm learning that there's so much value in community continually, and this podcast affirms
0: that today. Yep, have to have it. Love it. Well, very cool. So, with that said, Sam's probably dialing up the tunes from Beesabeats.com. If you want to buy one of Sam's sweet beats, head oh, over yeah. to BeatsBeats.com. <laughs> oh, He's Is yeah. our only unpaid sponsor that we have. doesn't have to be <laughs> unpaid, Sam. I'm going to get a plug here since March. <laughs> <coughs> Anywho, uh, we also have some merch. If you head over to the Attack show Show.com. We have some whiskey glasses, some mugs, some socks. It's going to be getting cold here soon. So you might want some coffee, some whiskey, or some warm feet. No one mm-hmm. likes cold feet. No. So especially around wedding season, so get those. <laughs> keep those feet warm. Anywho. With that said, James, you're awesome, lovely person. Wonderful to meet you. Hope I get to meet you in person one day. Let's I've only met Sam like two or three times, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> Thanks for yeah. having me, guys. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, one, one quick thing. James, where can people find you? What's your website and Instagram?
1: Yeah, Instagram is just uh, James Rudder, uh, R-U-D-D-E-R. I have to spell that in an American accent. Otherwise, people will <laughs> go no to all, that. all kind of different places. Um, and my website is just jamesrudder.com. And um, feel free to to get in touch and ask me things.
0: Excellent. All right, Matt, take us home. Very cool. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having. Have a darn good one. Sam, cue up the music. Cueing. See y'all later.